in my mind, I had this formula, right? In this formula, it was all the components to employment. And then mm -hmm. at the end, it would be some sort of like happiness quotient. Mm -hmm. It's this imaginary formula that I built. Yeah, yeah. Us logical, smart people do. We yeah. try to tweak the formula. We try to make the formula efficient and spit out some a higher value. I tried everything to try to tweak the formula. What I yeah. never did, John, was to challenge if the formula was broken to begin with. Mm, right. And so we continue to tell ourselves and our children that the formula works and you just have to find and tweak the formula that works for you. And we don't give space to have the conversation that not everybody's supposed to fit into this stupid formula. This whole notion that our parents genuinely thought that we could outrun, out-educate ourselves from and out-earn from racism. And for people who continue to believe that, like, please open your eyes and read yeah. research papers and think about how life is for people outside of your bubble. It was never true. Mm -hmm. It still isn't true. And unless we do something, it will continue to be true. You're listening to The Big Asian Energy Show, where every week we interview Asian experts, move makers, and ceiling breakers to uncover their secrets to success so we can help you reach your greatest potential. I'm your host, John Wang. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. And today we are talking to my friend Jerry Wan, who is a founder of Asian American media company, Just Like Media. If you haven't heard of that, you probably have heard of his award-winning podcast, Dear Asian American, who has featured Asian American leaders like Vice President Kamala Harris, as well as API storytellers, creators, artists, and leaders. On the show today, we talk about how he started in the corporate consulting world only to realize that there's an invisible barrier that most Asian Americans are perhaps not aware of, leading him to leave his industry and start an Asian American platform in the middle of the pandemic. We chat about how important it is that Asian Americans recognize the ways that we've been perhaps conditioned to not question the certain things that, especially in the corporate world, could actually have benefited us, and how to create a path for ourselves by finding our passion while still getting paid. All right, let's jump into this. Okay, so Jerry, for our guests that haven't met you yet, can you describe in your own words who you are and what it is that you do? Sure. Hi, everybody. And thanks, John, for having me on your show. I do a lot of different things. I have done a lot of even more things. And what I can distill it down to is I want to bring people and uplift people to the intersection of impact and income. And particularly for me, it is helping Asian American folks largely and Asian people globally to figure out ways that we can both help others. And that's the impact piece and to use our stories, but also to build businesses so that we can take care of our families, we can invest back into our communities and to really take care of ourselves. And so for me in this chapter, that looks like having built a media company and having Dears the Americans podcast be the anchor of that, that has led to me having a very great speaking business that I'm very grateful for. Mm -hmm. And so I have worked with companies like Google and Amazon, have spoken at Harvard Business School and even been invited to the White House to speak on topics that range from Asian American experiences to leadership to building a brand online and also includes building a business in the creator economy where we are building a community of like-minded Asian content creators to build businesses with each other. And it looks like a lot of different things, but at the core of it is how can we get people to figure out what their story is? How do we get it out? And then most importantly, because you need this to have it sustained, how do we build a business around it? And hmm. the short answer to that is let's help people figure out how to make money doing that. Nice. And that's huge, right? Like you represent such a major collect, like not just one voice, like a lot of people 
we've talked to, they've got a great platform, they've got a great voice, but you have, just like media has, Dear Asian Americans, MB Asians, The Jen Chi Show, Asian Podcast Network. Like, how did you think of, let me get involved in this? Like, how did this whole journey start for you? Because you used to work for Fortune 500. Yeah, short answer, I got fired like four years ago. <laughs> and the journey to getting fired is interesting because, and that's, you don't find that on the bio on the website, but yeah. after college, 10 years of sales and marketing work doing selling homes for real estate developers, insurance, mortgages, all the fun stuff. That's a pretty common path for a lot of Asian people, right? <laughs> it's interesting because back when I was in school, a lot of my friends went into the traditional like finance fields, finance, yeah. accounting, yeah, uh, three. consulting wasn't really in the radar back then for business students, or at least not from USC. <laughs> it is a much, much smarter school now. And I understand that many USC students now aspire to go into consulting. It's a big feeder group. Yeah. <laughs> now it is. Back then it wasn't. Then business school, then consulting, yeah. then USC, uh, exited Berkeley. to WeWork. And really four years ago, after being recruited to a company to lead their West Coast sales efforts, after seven weeks, they said, hey, we think we made a mistake. And I said, probably. But hold up. You said seven weeks? Seven weeks. What after company they had was recruited this? me. They don't exist anymore, which is interesting. Well, clearly because yeah, yeah. they have fired I don't me. even have them on my LinkedIn because it was just so short. But <laughs> so a couple of things happened when this happened in August of 2019. Tactically, when somebody recruits you over and wants to lead sales org, there's a lot of guarantees, but promises made to compensation of certain bonuses yeah, yeah. and packages and bonuses, so, all that. Yeah. Uh, so they paid me all that out for two quarters up front because that's what I was promised. And so I said, cool, great, this is dope. great. Uh, awesome. Got, got a chunk of money and found myself at a crossroads. And so the crossroads was this. At this point, I had gone to grad school. I had done big business, small business, startups, different roles, strategy sales. Like I had done a variety of different roles called work. And I was always looking for meaning in two different ways. One, like professional fulfillment of am mm -hmm. I doing good work to help something? Mm. And then two, like, what am I doing to help my community? Because you can make money, yeah. but again, to exist at the intersection of income and impact, how can I find that impact piece? Because the income was there. So when you say community, just for context, like what do you define as being, this is my community? That word has evolved quite a bit yeah. in the last few years. And for me too, community for me is like-minded people. So in mm -hmm. this instance, and in this context is Asian American community yeah. in different circumstances, it can mean more of a localized LA, local Korean American mm -hmm. community, but it's Actually, what you're doing has to be a little bit more than just yourself. So we can all be good at making money mm -hmm. and then going into our own corner of the universe and that's fine. But I don't think that's what our parents wanted for us. I think I don't think that's what our grandparents suffered for. And, and regardless of where mm -hmm. you come from and what your grandparents went through, they sacrificed for some greater good. And so what is that version for you and me today? You have this great platform called Big Asian Energy. We're trying to amplify Asian voices and to also make Asian people feel seen and heard and to empower them. That's building community, making money, working for a big company, making money, not caring about, not voting, mm -hmm. not getting involved or not teaching your kids how to then lead communities in, in some unfortunate way. And as not a judge, anybody here, but I wish that we could all carry on the, some of the things that our parents and our grandparents did so that mm -hmm. we can further positively right. impact whatever, however you define community. And so you got fired. I got from... fired and I was like, you know what? <laughs> and when you get fired, the, the immediate thing is, oh shit, I need another job. And, and like going back to LinkedIn after seven weeks, it was like the weird, six weeks ago, you're like, I found my new home. I feel so <laughs> happy here. I love these guys. Cause I did. Like, so you're I, telling I everyone. Be... Yeah. Yeah. And then it's, oh shit. Like it's not there anymore. So, so the initial knee jerk reaction is to go find another thing. And the, the 
more I thought about it, and even on the drive home that day, I was like shocked, number one, that just happened. And two, I was angry, but there was a sense of relief of, is this the time to do something that like feels right in my heart mm -hmm. in addition to making money? Mm -hmm. So my wife will tell a very different version of this story because she remembers it differently. But <laughs> I said, hey, look, like I genuinely feel like if I went to get another job, yep. whatever would check the boxes of what a post MBA job would look like from a organization title income perspective, will I really be happy? And, and is there a world where I can be both happy mm -hmm. and make money? Because right. in this binary construct of make your money, but serve your community in a different way mm -hmm. or find meaning somewhere else. But we were also taught that's not what happens at work. So we were taught and we were conditioned to think that workers where you go to make money yeah. and then you go do stuff on the back end. I refuse to believe that. I genuinely think that there are, this was four years ago. So the way that we think about the creator economy, very different. Yeah. And what I didn't have the words for then is how I introduced myself today is like, let's live at the intersection of impact and income. How do we do that? And so for me, I don't think that I could live at the intersection of impact and income if I work for somebody else mm -hmm. because they dictate what impact means for you. Sure. And so in terms of uplifting and amplifying the Asian American voice in a large corporation means very limited resources, very limited opportunities. Maybe it's through the employee resource group or ERGs. Maybe it's mentoring somebody unofficially from a young person that looks like you. Mm -hmm. but it's very limited because they're in any large organization, you're there to do one thing. Mm -hmm. You're there to trade yep. their money for your time and expertise time. to make them more money. Yeah. In any case, I made a deal with my wife at the time and I said, look, they gave us a little bit of money. Let me figure this out. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can give me six months to try to figure this out to see if we can make this content thing work. And so mm -hmm. I got super busy on LinkedIn. I, I went to gangbusters. We made a hundred consecutive days of video content on LinkedIn. I gathered a following. I said all the things on LinkedIn that I've been wanting to say for years. But what, what were you saying on LinkedIn at this point? I remember everything I said a hundred years ago, but there were a few things that I think was a refreshing take on our relation to work. Our and relation so, as in Asian American. In, broadly speaking, but more so Asian American. And so yeah. we're taught by parents, society, ourselves to not complain. So when somebody wrongfully harms you, whether it is through being fired or otherwise, you don't fight back. You don't negotiate mm -hmm. your contract. You don't demand time off. You always say yes, because saying yes is conflict and we're not told to invite conflict. Yeah. I was talking to, at the time, we just became parents of two, encouraging fellow dads to take their damn eternity leave and exhaust your PTOs because companies don't care. No. When I was doing consulting and traveling, I had a panic attack in the middle of the night because I was like anxious about work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why am I getting physically sick over spreadsheets and presentations? This is madness. And talking to young people and they're like, I feel all these things, but I just feel like I can't say anything because I don't want to get fired. I don't want to get blacklisted. I don't want to get harmed because I work so hard to get here. Mm -hmm. And this is not making light of somebody's compensation or income, but $70,000 a year, $100,000 a year isn't worth your life. And yeah. the company won't give two shits about you if you croak over. Mm -hmm. They're going to find somebody else to do your job. And guess what happens? Immediately when something bad happens to somebody, they're looking to their lawyers and their PR people to say, are we at fault? What is our exposure? Mm, so, right. And again, I'm not saying this is about all companies and somebody's going to email you or email me and be like, well, my <laughs> company was nice to me. Cool, good for you. But why can't that be like that for everybody but the current yeah. companies many of them they're not as human as they can be and so it was just about all the things that had i said a lot of these things when i was trying to get a job or when i was employed by another company it would not have ended well even things like one, one of the most thoughtful responses that i got was a post that i made about the importance and necessity about taking paternity leave for dads and the saddest part was that i got these comments privately through dms not through comments on a threat mm -hmm. not even through anything that was publicly visible mm -hmm. then i realized that hey there's all these people 
people that like resonate with a sad message that don't even want to like a comment or a post because then it shows onto other people's feeds. So they're and afraid of possibly getting punished by their community or their companies or, or future as mm -hmm. somebody who might max out their pat leave. Mm -hmm. You're like, why wouldn't you? What's more important than spending time with your kids? And so again, these things and to make a long story even longer, we did that. That led to a different podcast that I ran under a different strategy. And ultimately on March 2nd, 2020, which also happened to be my daughter's first birthday, I said, this is the day mm -hmm. I'm going to launch the Asian Americans. Why, why dear Asian? I was so curious about yeah. that because like why Asian? Because you're exactly as you're saying, Asian Americans, we're taught to like keep our head down, work hard, don't mm -hmm. create conflict. And there's this underlining invisible energy that's don't speak too loudly about how Asian you are. Sure. There's this weird thing where it's like, we know we're Asian. We know we're seen as being Asian, but we don't want to draw too much attention to it for a lot of people. Where in your background did that switch to the opposite where it's just screw you guys. I'm not only just going to talk about this on LinkedIn, point out the problems, talk about the culture, but also come out and say, actually, I'm going to launch a whole podcast brand around it. Yeah, I think it was 20 years in the making. I just didn't know it. Mm -hmm. We don't know what we don't know. The idea was born out of who did I get advice from? Mm -hmm. Who did I get both business life and just advice in general from both directly and indirectly growing up? Wasn't us, right? Thinking about hmm. what we were told. Wasn't other Asian Americans when you say us? It wasn't our people. It wasn't people who lived my life. It wasn't Korean Americans. It wasn't Asian Americans. Yeah. It was basically, there were these, go to the leadership section of your local bookstore and tell me who's on the author list. 98%. <laughs> what did they know about being an immigrant? Yeah. What did they know about facing racism in this country? What do they know yeah. about being discriminated against? And again, you and I are both educated, privileged East Asian men. We're up there on the privilege scale, even amongst Asian yeah, Americans. Huge, yeah. What the hell do we know about what it means to be a woman, a refugee, adoptee, even other marginalized identities? We do not. No. And so in a world that was so obsessed with content when it came to life advice, who's providing the context of what it means to be a successful person from mm. a particular Asian American lens? And 20 years ago, when I was in college, we didn't because we had two problems. One, there really weren't an ample amount of Asian Americans who have charted their own path, who've done cool mm -hmm. stuff. The supply of stories wasn't as robust. And then mm -hmm. two, the distribution channels were limited because the internet wasn't what it's like today. Mm -hmm. And there you would needed somebody's permission to get a radio mm -hmm. show, to get a column in a newspaper, to yeah. have a TV show. Yeah, usually needed a stamp of approval from a middle-aged white guy. Correct. And then what are they going to say? Oh, your market's not big enough. Who's going to care about your story? Oh my God, yeah. So fast forward to 2020 and I was like, okay, we have both problems solved. Yeah. We have a ton of stories out there. I am yeah. friends with a lot of these people, yeah. entrepreneurs or people who have made it in corporate America, all these wonderful yeah. things. And we have this thing called the internet. Yeah. So we can make videos, we can make podcasts. And so that was it. Like, why can't we take care of our own people? Hmm. Why can't we give each other advice? And mm -hmm. why can't we share our own story? And then there's also this sort of cultural thing of... Mm -hmm. We've been taught that the moment we talk about ourselves, it's bragging. And that's yeah. bad. Shame on you for bragging about yourself. Stop yeah. boasting. And at the intersection of that and some religious influences, like people really don't talk about themselves. No. And we've equated that with something in our head that says, oh, if you don't talk about yourself, that's humble and humble is good and humble gets rewarded. Which is ridiculous. Humble does not get rewarded in this country. No. And in most modern cultures, I would even say it's not just this country, but even if you're taking a look at Asian countries these days, the culture has shifted. We are becoming more individualist. You got to go out there and make a yep. name. Otherwise, no one is going to come and give right. you that gold star anymore. Right. And so how do you fix that? You ask people to talk about themselves yeah. and then they can't say no because <laughs> to say no is also rude. Yeah. And so you basically, we, like, and yeah. you're doing the same thing right now, John. If you create a platform for people to come and share their stories, yeah. it creates this wonderful thing where you diffuse everybody's defensiveness or this hesitancy to want to share. And here's the thing that I have learned to 
accept. If you have life lessons that you learn through pain, mm -hmm. through trauma, through really unfortunate things in life mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. have to do with your identity. Mm -hmm. And so whether you face racism at work or that you figure this thing out and you don't share that so that it makes it easier for the next person, you're being quite selfish. Totally. Because none yeah. of us are where we are on our own merit, mm -hmm. right? Again, going back to what our grandparents and ancestors did for us to be here, why are we withholding the secret so that it makes my kid's life easier the next time? Yeah, we learn it from somebody else. Correct. We were given the tools. We were given the weapons to fight back. Like, absolutely, pass it on. And so in a weird sense, assimilation wasn't the go-to playing card or the strategy anymore. And so all those things considered, I said, this is what I want to do. At the time, I had no idea if it would be a business, if it would just be a long, short-lived project. Yeah. I don't know who the hell would have listened. And then think about the timing, right? So I launched this on March 2nd. We did five episodes in the first week, Monday through Friday. And then the week after, like America shut down because of the COVID, and, which was good and bad. Everybody thinks that we're a pandemic show. And I was like, no, we were just before the pandemic, <laughs> which was good and bad. So it was the bad that turned into good. Yeah, yeah. So March was also the end of the six month negotiation that I had made with my wife of let me try to figure yeah. this shit out. Yeah, so yeah. all along I was interviewing, I was trying to get another job, yeah. a job that I thought would give me the best chance to still fulfill my impact piece while uh -huh. making money. Yeah. And as with all like IP, and if you've applied for multiple jobs or have switched jobs, you know this, like when you get hired, they have this sort of tell us everything that you own today yeah. from a digital IP perspective so that we know that you didn't make this on our dime. And so <laughs> I wanted this podcast to be something that I could declare on the way in that yeah. I it was mine that they mm -hmm. can't claim. Middle of March, everybody stopped calling back. Nobody was hiring. And so we said, well, that sucks. My kids were home, daycare closed. Where are we going to go? And so we had all this time. Yeah. And so everybody I that I wanted to talk to, they were also they, home. They all had this time. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody had an excuse because what's everybody's excuse? I'm sure. You yeah, know, I, as, I don't got time. Yeah, I'm busy. Right, I'm, I'm traveling. traveling. And you're like, no, you're not. Dude, April and May of 2020 was like, I know. And you know that you're not going anywhere. You're home. We're all virtual. This is all yeah. over Zoom. Just tell me. Just give me an hour. I will. We used to do early morning stuff, late night stuff. And I was yeah. like, I will meet you whenever it's convenient for you. But yeah. you ain't going nowhere. Yeah. And so that was also nice. Who are your best interviewees during that time? Who are your best guests? You got big names. You got Kamala Harris. Vice President came later. Here's the other sort of counterintuitive thing, and I still believe in it. And again, this is not a judgment on your show. I know you've recorded a bunch. I have no idea who these other people are. So this is just about me, not about you. Yeah, um, yeah. I happen to think that my strong conviction is rather that what makes our story so beautifully resonant mm -hmm. is not based on how popular somebody is. It's the yeah. experiences. Yeah. And so I had two goals in the guest list curation department of the Asian American. One was that, again, me as the Korean straight privileged man, <laughs> I always had this blind spot of, I don't want this to be another Asian thing that exists in the world where it's just all mm -hmm. Chinese and Korean dudes. Yeah. There are certainly plenty of those things. Yeah. And so how do I work around my own blind spots and my own biases and my own network to make sure that the cast of guests would best reflect my ability, mm -hmm. the diversity of the Asian community. So that was yeah. the challenge. And mm -hmm. then two was I didn't want to celebrity chase for two reasons. One, mm -hmm. the relatability of the average person that we talk to Huge. is so close to yeah. the average listener. Yeah. Two, I happen to also think that the longer you have enjoy the worldly privileges that celebrity and the wealth bring you, you naturally, and this is no fault of their own, you naturally forget about some of the painful moments in your life. Yeah. So, or it becomes harder to talk about because correct. now you're having to uphold a certain image that correct. others expect of you. Yeah. Or you have PR people saying, don't talk about that shit. Yeah. You're absolutely. not allowed to talk about yeah. stuff. Between this time and this time, it didn't exist. <laughs> yep. PR people in your ear, if you got coaches, you're not coming to talk about no. the painful immigration story of your family. And I really want to call this out because I've talked to at least a couple of really, let's just say like 
really accomplished C-levels. And one thing I heard is you can't talk about your corporate experiences as an Asian American. So you can't talk about microaggression because it makes us look bad. We're going to get sued. You can't talk about how people forgot your names or how people spoke over you or how very clearly a position you were supposed to be given was given to outside hires very, very clearly because they just literally forgot you existed. Like, like these kind of stories. And I always am like, dude, we need to talk. Uh, we need to talk about this at the high levels. But, but they won't, but they can't. They can't. They can't. Yeah. So if you also notice, I don't have a lot of corporate people on my show because no. they can't talk about this stuff. They make terrible guests because <laughs> in the same vein that like I found the ability to be me and to be authentic. Yeah. Once I know was no longer employed. The opposite is yeah. also true. If, if we're talking for a long time and talking about personal stories yeah. and in the back of your mind, you're thinking about, oh my God, is HR going to care or is my partner going to care? And I said, nobody gets final editing. This is our show. We'll go straight. And so the work around that was like, I'm just going to have people who don't have that. Entrepreneurs, mm. uh, people who were doing in the beginning stages of COVID, people who were building movements and creating spaces yeah. to talk. And if you look at the first like 20 guests or so, it's like, there's not a lot of household names. And that was by design because again and, and to take people back to what the middle of 2020 felt like monetizing was a bad word yeah people especially don't. around an identity topic yeah so it's like right? why not just help people and i went gangbusters man like i did 50 episodes in the first 100 days God. and i didn't bank content this was like <laughs> record today upload tomorrow <laughs> sure. if you look at the yeah if you look at the time how stamps, did you not like, burn out doing that what i didn't have anything else to do this was my job oh that's right yeah <laughs> during the pandemic we had nothing else to do so i would record in the morning upload at night if you look what? at the timestamps, like there are some that were like two episodes a day like crazy stuff because i was also obsessed with volume instead yeah. of strategically thinking yeah. about releasing stuff and i did not give some of my guests their due their fair chance and having the content marinate mm -hmm. but especially into like april and may mm -hmm. the inbound request to speak on the show was so high and i mm -hmm didn't want to say no to a lot of people you know and i was like if i do two a week and i have 20 like mm -hmm. i'm already 10 weeks out i, I just wanted to ask about this yeah. having talked to so many people during that time you were talking to two three people like you were releasing 50 different interviews what were the biggest trends that you were seeing were there any trends was there anything that kind of tied it together because that's always a question i constantly have when we look at asian like as you said we're so diverse right what were the yeah. big trends that were like what are the big experiences that you keep seeing come up i think especially in the beginning of 2020 it was like my identity is important to me my mm. identity is right. a part of my business it's a part of how i operate my business and again there was a little bit of self-selection here because I interviewed people that were documentarians about the Asian American experience or sure. people who were building businesses from cultural elements like mm -hmm. food and drink or many of the Facebook groups that were being started or being grown aggressively mm -hmm. during that time that brought mm -hmm. people together. To use book terms, it was really narrative nonfiction rather than prescriptive nonfiction and difference being one is just listening for the sake of a story and the other is I want to learn something. The whole point wasn't to learn something, although you learn about somebody's experience. And why do we call it the Asian Americans? Uh, mm -hmm. Because it's a letter to us from us. And it's just mm -hmm. this when you write a letter, think about when you write somebody a letter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oftentimes it's just storytelling. Dear John, here's how to make a shit ton of money. Here are the 10 bullet points. <laughs> you don't do that. And oh, that, you know, that does seem to be a lot of my email these days. Uh, yeah. So now we have yeah. this platform to talk to each other, talk to the right. community. Yeah. And so that was really important. And, and again, I think people were having some of the same realizations that I was evolving with, which is how do I show up as myself? Because yeah. one, the world needs it. 
And yeah. two, the world's going to treat you like this way anyway. So how do you yeah. best prepare yourself to come be present and to show up in a place where you can do all these things? And now we certainly had our fair share of people and we continue to get pitches quite a bit on, yo, I got this new book coming out and that's all I want to talk to you about. And then I have to write back and say, look, I'm going to ask you about some personal stuff going back to your grandparents. Are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah. And of course they say yes, but there are some interviews that I even still think about me like, man, that was like really not a good one from like a authenticity perspective because mm -hmm. you could tell that they just want to get to you know, let so me, my first yeah let so me, my first let me question pitch always my, is yeah. pitch my thing hey it's i'm gonna tell you like two seconds of my family history <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and then at the end my of the two seconds my parents were immigrants they're refugees anyway let me tell you about this book <laughs> exactly and i was like yo that's not the point of this yeah, um, yeah. i don't know even I, as we're talking now i'm scrolling through some of the people that we've gotten <laughs> to talk to over the years and it's pretty dope it actually is nudging me i should re-engage with some of these people and see what they're up to because obviously what are some names that's popping up for you right now that you want to give a shout out to let's see if we go way back I'm actually going to go see him perform today, but if Satyal, who is an Indian American comic, he was very gracious to actually, that was one of the very few in-person interviews that we had. I went to his house in Glendale and or Burbank rather. That in was really, pandemic. really special and cool. We had very early on Benny Luo, who started Next Shark, who's been oh, yeah. a, a dear friend of mine. Yeah. Brian and Maggie from Asian Hustle Network are early guests. And huge. And then there were some people that we actually ended up starting shows with. Dr. Jang Cho, we started a podcast together called Korean American Parents from Parenting as a result of this. Nathan, KJ, and Patrick, we started the Adoptee Chanchi show after they were on the show mm -hmm. three different times. We lost one friend from the show, Jin Yu, who was an early guest we lost in the COVID in 2021. It's a very interesting sort of where we were then and where we are now. Renee Tajima Pena, who is a documentarian and was a serious producer of the Asian Americans doc on PBS, mm -hmm. like an OG legend in my book. It was one of those, I just called emailed her and she said yes. And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no background, no name. I just would like have one expected some pushback, right? Yeah, no, But nothing. then again, it was like early May of 2020. Yeah, um, she wasn't doing anything. I yeah. love that so much of your focus is on authenticity, right? Because I think for a lot of Asian Americans, we've had to put together a show yeah. to survive, to belong. And it's also just part of our culture, right? We don't yeah. talk about the shameful shit, right? The stuff like you don't talk about struggles. We don't talk about failures. I really think that authenticity is like the show is called Big Asian Energy. I feel like that's Big Asian Energy. It's like the full unapologetic, here's who I am. Were you always like that growing up? Was this always oh, a hell no. Dude, hell no. Obviously not. I got really good at blending in with old white guys, right? As Asian American kids, even yeah. like sports knowledge is different, right? So like American football, like I went to a big football school, USC for undergrad. Yeah. Before that, I don't think I knew how football worked because oh, school no. didn't have a football team. <laughs> My parents don't know. And I remember yeah. I have this clear memory. Like I was watching American football in high school and like trying to figure out what the numbers in the screen meant because I didn't know. And we didn't yeah. have Google back then in the late 90s. Yeah. And so things like that and like just assimilating. Yeah. It's funny because I also worked in sales where yeah. most of my clientele were old white people. Yeah. And even my wife sometimes brings it up. And certainly it's probably the voice that I'm talking with now. But a lot of my friends would be like, Jerry has a white voice and then Jerry has a Jerry voice. We and all do. Like, we can and, bring out the Asian voice. And, and now we have words yeah. for it, which is yeah. code switching and switching, assimilating yeah. and all these things. And you no, know, but you know what? I think, again, in their super well-intentioned and loving yet limited wisdom, mm -hmm. our parents' definition of being successful here was to blend in yeah. it was not to stand out no because standing out meant being targets of racism being totally. treated differently and so why not Ooh. because they genuinely believed and again i know there's a lot of young people who like to shit on their parents but stop because <laughs> one as a parent i can tell you there's no part of me that wants nothing but the best and nothing but health and safety yeah. for my kids yeah. and, and two our parents grew up in a complete and your parents grew up in a completely different era totally like my yeah, grandparents were born into yeah. horrible things it, it doesn't matter what country right like, 
pick no, your country, their history is different awful. time, just different and time. So consider that in the context of where their advice is coming from. And yeah. so that should humble you. But in their best well-intentioned yet limited wisdom, it was mm -hmm. blend in as much as you can. Yeah. My mom would say, go study hard, go to a good school, go yeah. join a big American company and stay there for as long as you can and let them take care of you. Yeah. And, and I think that's so That wonderful. was good advice. That was good advice. And Except it doesn't work. Except it doesn't work. As an immigrant, though, it's really hard. Yeah. And, and again, there are people who made it work. Yeah. But I think we were all guilty as a community because we were so desperate to have that be true that we took anecdotes yeah. and we turned them into data points. And mm. so, what I mean by in my particular case, my, my mother had a childhood friend who, at the time when I was in college, was a partner at a big accounting firm in America. He was US based, went to school here, was in charge of the Korea practice, then was set, then sent back to Korea to lead that office. He he actually gave me my one of my internships. So I worked in Korea for a summer. Mm -hmm. And so from her limited perspective of her network, here mm -hmm. was a person she personally knew for whom this worked to be a partner. But think about that. He was not a partner of the white businesses. He was pigeonholed into being the head of the Korea practice because that's the limitation of what they yeah. saw him good for. But the agency. Yeah, correct. We yeah. didn't think about that part. So anyway, so I think she would think about, look at him. He's doing so well. We're so proud of him, right? He's a very successful American businessman. How many failed stories of people never making a partner were ignored in that situation? Yeah, but again, never about you it. don't ever want to tell your kids that they can't. So you'd be like, if you study harder enough, if you go to the right school, if you do blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. You'll make it. That's the thing. That and was so, the story. So I chased that. Right. Yeah, I yeah. chase being accepted. How many Asian dudes go into sales in America <laughs> after college? Yeah. Not very many, but I was good at it. And I wasn't just like in charge of the Korean accounts. Like I was good with white yeah. people. So what was your journey like going from chasing after assimilation into this? I just don't give a fuck big Asian energy, like that authenticity of the Jerry Wong energy. I think it's everything. It was having chased enough different things. So in my mind, I had this formula. And yeah. So in this formula, it was all the components to employment. And then mm -hmm. at the end, it would be some sort of like happiness quotient. It's this imaginary formula that I built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you tweak and us logical, smart people do. We yeah. try to tweak the formula. We try to whatever, make the formula efficient and spit out some a higher value. And so I tried sales, marketing, right. salary, commission roles, small company, yeah. big company, travel, no travel, working weekends, not working weekends, going to business school, <laughs> getting a better job, working for a yeah. consulting company, having people think you're smart, getting extra no, letters after your name. I no tried everything. Try, yeah. I tried everything to try to tweak the formula. What I yeah. never did, John, was to challenge if the formula was broken to begin with. And so we continue to tell ourselves and our children that the formula works and you just have to find and tweak the formula that works for you. And we don't give space to have the conversation that not everybody's supposed to fit into this stupid formula. Mm. And so for me, the whole formula was messed up because it doesn't matter what components you put into it. It was an employment formula. And so you could put in any value you want, but the X factor mm -hmm. was that it would be multiplied mm -hmm. or be an exponent of employment. Was there one of these experiences, small company, big company sales or whatever it is that was kind of a pivotal point into kind of unlocking oh, yeah. that? Because you work with creators and like to be a successful creator and or you work with speakers, podcasters, it takes a certain amount of courage to say, I'm going to say something that goes against the grain, what you were doing, right? To say, I, I don't really care. I'm, just, I'm putting it out there. This is what I believe in. This is who I am. Do you see that a lot with the people you work with? Yeah, I think young people now have such a wonderful array of choices. And I think for me, people don't believe it when I say this, but I fell into this and I had no choice but to try this because nothing else worked. I think people are choosing to be creators. And I think that's wonderful because obviously there's also more economic opportunity. And again, I don't think like the employment formula broken epiphany mm -hmm. was totally correlated to uh, now I just need to be this like loud 
Asian person, mm -hmm. but it began with that, right? Super clear. I can tell you down to the exact minute when this shit happened. Okay. And so my son's birthday is on December 10th. He was born in 16. And so during December of 2018, we were living in LA and I was consulting and our client was in Detroit, Michigan. Right. And so we were doing the stupid commute of LA to Detroit, which is awful. Detroit's wonderful. The commute's awful. It's a three and a half hour flight, but across three different time zones. And so <laughs> the red eyes are not real red eyes. It's a nap eye. And it's anyway, it's awful. Yeah. And as typical in consulting, we had members from the uh, team that were from all different parts of the country sure. coming in to work together. So we had a number of different sort of work schedules where oftentimes we would fly in on the red eye and be there Monday morning. Sometimes we would fly Monday evening and be there Tuesday. And it was flexible for what it's worth. A couple of weeks before my son's birthday, mm -hmm. uh, which was a Monday that year, I emailed my senior manager and I said, hey, it's my son's birthday. Would really love to spend the morning with him and have lunch with him. Can I work from home Monday morning, mm -hmm. take the last flight out, which would mean that I would still be online until about four o'clock Eastern. So the end of their work day, mm -hmm. and then take the flight, get in at like midnight and I'll see you guys Tuesday morning. And I didn't ask for a day off or anything because we had just done this a long time. People did it all the time. They flexed on Mondays. And she said, no, because it's a very important week. And in fact, can you fly in on Sunday or take the red eye? And I want to see you at 9 a.m. on Monday that day. And, and since I asked that way, now I can't like call in sick all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it hurt, right? And then I will own it because we also have a family policy, like nobody works on birthdays. Yeah. But for whatever reason that day or that year, and I was like, I, I goofed up. Anyway, suck it up. I take the red eye, leaving home the day before my kid's second birthday. And for all the people that say, oh, the kid's too young, so they won't remember, screw you. I remember. And so that logic <laughs> yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. So I get to Detroit at five. Yeah. I hate life right now, but I'm like, whatever. We got to yeah, figure yeah, yeah. this out. So I get to the conference room at like eight o'clock and at 820, she pings me, says, wasn't feeling well. Didn't oh, get on my flight. Yeah. The, see you tomorrow. So here I am in Detroit yeah. on my son's birthday. Oh my God. In a, literally, this is like the shit writes itself in a yeah. windowless conference room in frigid as Detroit with me and the associate <laughs> yeah. because nobody came to work that day. There's a bucket in the corner catching rainwater coming through. Yep. And no. Like why the F am I here? The janitor is coming by and going who yep. are you people in this nobody showed up oh and my so god that's a even, breaking point moment yeah it is and when she came into work the next day i was like people get sick i can't get mad at for people getting sick yeah but there was never an apology and there was never an acknowledgement of the fact that due to her actions that i missed my son's birthday and it was never brought up yeah and i was like and it wasn't her i don't as much as i would like to think that she was a shitty person she is just a symptom of the system because the system rewards business decisions why am i doing this so again he was two mm -hmm. not old enough or not aware enough to ask these questions and so i asked myself when the kids are old enough to ask me straight up about why do you have to leave us every week mm -hmm. yeah. can i give them an answer i can be proud of or not be ashamed of and the answer was this ain't it yeah me it can't leaving, just be dollars yeah spreadsheet jockey and a powerpoint person yeah and that sort of began this sort of like how do i do something that i can look my kids in the eye and say mm. hey i know it sucks and, and doing what i do now speaking across the country and then doing all this wonderful community building stuff like yeah. they leave home a lot yeah totally and it sucks because now they're old enough they're six and four so they ask and they say but please don't go mm -hmm. and it effing sucks maybe i'm justifying who knows but at least mm -hmm. i can look them in the eye and saying look one i'm doing this to make money for the family and two you guys don't realize it now but i'm trying to build a world that's safer for you guys yeah and then there's a lot of people in our network all aunts and uncles that in our own way at work in the community and in government mm -hmm. that we're trying just to make this 
place we call home safer for you guys so you can mm -hmm. have better access to education, to healthcare, to whatever. And, and perhaps for the folks listening, it's like, how do we often obsess about how we spend money? Mm -hmm. a matter of like responsibility. Yeah. Social responsibility often obsesses on how we spend money. And so my challenge to you all who are listening is how do you make money? How, can you socially, responsibly, and ethically make money? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. And it might be tough and it might be not the most direct path. But if you are justifying, hey, I need to feed my kids. And again, if you think I'm judging you, that's fine. That's on you. Mm -hmm. But if you are harming the world by making your money, mm -hmm. if you are contributing to that, just give it some thought. And again, I don't advise anybody to do what I did, which is to leave a post-MBA comfortable situation to do LinkedIn podcast speaking. What is this? My parents didn't even know what I did for a few years. COVID really saved our ass and like it just work. I assume if you have the time and the energy and the technology to listen to this conversation that yeah. you have some privilege and that you have options. And just like John has, right? Like what can you do to use your gifts, your opportunity, and ultimately your privilege mm -hmm. to make this world a little bit better place for us too while we're here and then ultimately to our kids and our grandkids because this whole notion that our parents genuinely thought that we could outrun out educate ourselves from and out earn from racism it doesn't no and for people who continue to believe that please open your eyes and read yeah. research papers and think about how life is for sort of people outside of your bubble it was never true mm -hmm. it still isn't true and unless we do something it will continue to be true beautiful so i want to bring this now to the core message of where you are now which is finding ways in which impact meets income. For people who are listening, I'm willing to bet there's a couple of them who are in a job right now that sounds a lot like the job that you're describing, which is I'm putting in the time, I'm trading money for, for dollars, and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? What is that gap? Because that's the scary jump to make to go yeah. into, let me create something that feeds impact as well sure. as income. I don't think it's binary. Mm -hmm. I think people look at what you and I do, but it's both scary and bullish to do what John and I have done, which is to <laughs> put all our eggs in this basket. It's and absolutely it, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so don't look at us and been like, yo, do I quit my job and do this for a living? Oh, <laughs> there's a gray area of both like duality and transition. Yeah, we live I, in a I, world I, where I'm still running my day job. I'm still right. running a business. <laughs> and me too. Like, so think about how you can impact in your own way that makes comfortable, but do something right. We don't all have to do the maximum. You don't have to start a whole podcast and do all these things. And even in your own micro community, whether it's just your family or in your neighborhood, figure out how do you make life easier for the next person? That's all it is. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard, right? Impact carries a super glorified, heavy meaning. Purpose. It's not. It's Find your simple. life You're... purpose. You're helping somebody. Yeah. So impact and income is super simple. Impact, help somebody. Yeah. Income, make money from that. That's the <laughs> essence of business, right? You're exchanging yeah. money for help. Yeah. But you have to figure out what the help is and how yeah. you are best suited to do it. Uh -huh. And there are far more eloquent and more thoughtful speakers on this topic. But how do you maximize? How do you increase the income? You pick a topic that is painful. You pick a problem that you can help a lot of people with. You Your method of delivery is in one in which it can scale. Right? And there's different things to tweak the formula, but figure out how you want to help people. And no matter what your day job is, or no matter what your self-belief is on the limitations of your being able to help, mm -hmm. trust me, there are definite ways to be able to help in a maximum capacity. And so trying to just figure what that means for you is half the battle. Once you get that and the other block is like the belief and the know-how then there are resources like this podcast mm -hmm. and there are books you can read there are youtubes you can watch there are communities you can join you can hire a coach you know you have to invest in yourself to be able to get to that point if there are no free resources you also have to commit to it you have to sacrifice mm -hmm. other things fun money sleep whatever it is mm -hmm. to be able to do it and this is not some like glorious thing that i want to impart wisdom on but what are people 
what do you want your impact to be when you die? That is the most simple thing that I think, what do you want people to remember you for? You, was it, you got it, yeah. Was it like having the best financial projections for this publicly traded company? <laughs> Nobody gives a shit. I helped this one pharmaceutical company merge with another pharmaceutical company. Like, last, is that then, what you really want? <laughs> and again, those things are necessary parts of life and yeah. the stupid capitalistic society we decided to live in. Fine. Yeah. But what's beyond that? And so maybe it's in the micro. It's like raising your kids to be the most positive, helpful people. I don't know, but it's tough. Starting with finding one person. I've heard yeah. that to be a really good general thing. Like one person you can visualize and being like, how can I support this one person? with the resources that I have. And then think there's thousands, tens of thousands, probably millions. And the most important thing is this, out of all of it, you don't get to decide who you help. You don't get to decide how another human being receives your message. True. When we think that we can only do so much, we are not responsible for, nor do we get to dictate how our message is received mm -hmm. and how that message can actually ignite somebody else to be helpful. And therefore it is actually only job to provide the help and then the way that it is received is completely out of our world the moment you try to figure out who you're helping and how they're helped then you're going down this wrong path because this happens quite a bit and so when john and i speak on stages and we have and maybe it's even happened on this podcast i don't know we think of things to say that in our brains it's based on my experience and my expertise yada yada, yeah, yada. Yeah, yeah. here's one thing that i think is going to really hit home and i'll pause after i say it because <laughs> i want to have it, it drive emphasis so but i guarantee you for many yeah. of you listening listening, that's not what drove home for you. Yeah. The thing that you're like, oh shit, Jerry and John said something that really opened my eyes to something could have been the most basic thing that was just something that we say all the time, mm -hmm. something that we take for granted, something that is not even in our periphery of, oh, this is something that could be of value to somebody. We are not. Mm -hmm. We should never be the judge of our own value, the judge of our own work. If we did, nobody would create art. Nobody would release music. Nobody would mm -hmm. do anything because in our own heads, we would just go into analysis paralysis. And two, because there are no no longer filters. We don't need a radio station to play our music. We don't need a publisher to publish this podcast. No, we just go publish anywhere on the internet, video, written words, anything. Mm -hmm. And therefore you are letting the market, you're letting the end user, you're letting the person who can most benefit from your content, find you and receive the most amount of help. So think about even 20 years ago, yeah. what we were taught, we were literally told, these are the best books to read. These yeah. are the best things to read. These are the best TV shows to read. These are the experts. Yeah. Did any of those fools look like us? Who no. got to decide that? Yeah. So for decades and decades, we were told what to think and what to find valuable. And then mm -hmm. now this internet thing is democratizing everything. And I'm here to tell you that now wherever you are, you can go help a Korean immigrant kid who lives in Oklahoma that would have never had access to your words. That's it. And mm -hmm. so that's the crazy part. And again, the other part too is size doesn't matter. I know in creator land and all the worlds that we live in, it's all about how many, we don't even mm -hmm. talk about like the actual number in the thousands or in the millions, right? Oh, I have yeah. 1.2. Yeah. We lose track on the tangible the people. human value that we can bring yeah. to each and individual person. And so that's the other part that I would remind folks on. The numbers are fine. Mm -hmm. And if you are fortunate enough to be able to be in a position where you can impact a ton of people in a very happy and holistic way, fantastic. The reality is most of us are going to play in this very, very small world. This podcast and John, sorry to burst your bubble, <laughs> neither is mine. This will not be, Spotify is not going to buy this show for $100 million and they're not going to buy billboards for you. Jerry! Because <laughs> that's not the goal of this dream. show. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And 
So if we are judging ourselves by mm -hmm. a metric that is not meant for our audience, then it also gets into our own head. That's it. And so this is the simplest trick in the world. And this requires a little bit of self-reflection. Think about the books, the people, the shows, all the things that have helped you the most in life. And then genuinely and objectively think about who are those people mm -hmm. and, and how do they help me? That's it. They're not going to be the most famous people in the world. They're not mm -hmm. going to be the most expensive things in the world. They're just everyday people who decided mm -hmm. to, going back to what we were saying earlier, yeah. who decided to share their pain and their lessons to you so that it would be easier for you. And then now, because life works this way, it is now on us to be able to pass that forward. It's not yeah. that hard. It's super easy. But doing this every day is hard. Taking the first step is hard, is right? Hard. But the premise of, is this a viable thing to do? Super, not that hard. That's where the equation the, comes The concept with. is not that hard, yeah, rather. Yeah, that's the equation. Impact multiplied yeah. by income. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jerry. Jerry, you are a keynote speaker. You have a incredible podcast. I just feel like you're starting stuff all the time. I feel like every, <laughs> every time I chat with you, there's something new. What is the big thing that uh, you want to share for our audience to look forward to or to check out? Aside from Dear Asian Americans, go Google that, MB Asians, all the Asian American, just like media stuff. Or maybe if you're working at a company, go check out Jerry's keynote speaker information. Are you still running workshops these days? Yeah, we do workshops. We do keynotes. We do all sorts of stuff. So my, again, trying to help people find their intersection of mm -hmm. impact mm -hmm. um, and even influence, right? The growth steps in my own business and career. And you and I are both keynote speakers. Um, the space of keynote speakers, the world of creators, even it's not a very diverse world. No. And even though the players might be, the decision makers are still not. Yeah. And so there, there's so much I enjoy giving somebody both the tools and the confidence and the know-how to build the business around their story. But here's the fun fact. If you take a look at the world's top 50, let's say, keynote speakers that command the highest rates or have mm -hmm. impacted the most number of people, hold that thought for a second and imagine what they look like. And I don't need to tell you this, but I have an idea. Like <laughs> one person. And take a step back from the small communities that we live in here, whether it's Canada yeah. or America. Yeah. The world, 60% of the world look like me and you. Yeah. That's more than 4 billion people who are alive yep. today yep. that identify as Asian. Yeah. The people who are seen as the uh -huh. best storytellers, the best speakers, the best impact thought leaders look one way. Yep. The majority of the world look looks another. one way. Yep. So the opportunity to help have resonance, and I'm not saying that these guys are wrong. Don't take that out of no, context. No. Yeah. But we are able to then reach people who will also love us, not only for the content that we produce, but the context yep. through which we can share these stories. Because I can share with you what it meant to be a person in corporate America that faced mm -hmm. blatant racism, yep. that faced discrimination, even from yep. people who look like me. Yeah, that those guys will never be able to do. And look, mm -hmm. and we talked this about this before. We're pretty goddamn privileged. Yeah, we're East Asian educated people in this country, mm -hmm. and we're healthy. We're cis male. Everything is there. Yeah. So if you have more additional identities mm -hmm. that stack on top that make mm -hmm. privilege harder, it mm -hmm. is more important even for you than it is for me to go help people who identify in the way that you do. Yeah. Harder more consistently because yeah. there are fewer people out there who can resonate with that person. That's right. And however you do it, mm -hmm. LinkedIn, maybe not Twitter, YouTube, <laughs> podcast, it's called X, X now. Uh, whatever yeah. the hell it is. <laughs> or or just your, your truth. own community. Yeah. Right. Just in your own community. Text yeah. Just a in your friend. own company. Just at, in your own friend, friend list. At, yeah. At dinner tonight with your family, just share. And so yeah. share your truth. We are, We've been taught to minimize ourselves, our stories. And to sum it all up, we're big. We're big in our personalities. We're big in culture. Yeah. We're big in our size. Yeah. The ability to take your energy, whatever that means, yeah. to expand it into the universe. Yeah. And I guarantee you, do not let the small voices of the people that were initially actually 
fearful of us being ourselves keep you mm -hmm. from being yourself because we That's right. Asian people That's right. stand on the shoulders of millennia <laughs> of right. history. That's right. Our food, our culture, yeah. the blood wasn't... running through our veins. Sorry, yeah. America, you're only 250 years old. Our countries, <laughs> our languages, our people are thousands and tens of thousands of years old. And all of that lives through you. And so all of our ancestors, the wars that they fought, the survival, the, all the stuff, what are you going to make about that? Yeah. What are you going to do based on their sacrifices? And then that's up to you. And again, I'm not saying that what I'm doing is right. I'm not saying what John is doing is right. But you got to figure out how you impact the next generation. Because mm -hmm. one day your grandkids and your great grandkids are going to mm -hmm. say, what the hell did Grandpa Jerry do for me? And again, yeah. being a super whizzy PowerPoint person, ain't it? It <laughs> never it. was and never will be. We'll leave it at that. But this has been wonderful, John. I, nice. I love talking to you. And yeah, this is a lot of fun. I had about, thank you so much, Jerry, for coming on board. Go check it out. Check out Jerry's stuff all over. We're going to put his links on his website up there. Thank you so much for your time, man. As Asian Americans, we are as strong as our collective community. So if there's something that you found valuable in this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media. And if you like the show, leave us a review and send a screenshot and you might win some big Asian energy merch, which we give out every month so you can go out there and own your big Asian energy.